another episode of Grab Them by the Pod. If you like all things Trump, politics, and a general good time, you've come to the right place. As always, I'm Kevin, here with Jesse, and we've got a couple of special announcements today. One, we have ourselves a new website, www.grabthembythepod.com. And two, we have a special guest here today with us, our good friend, Patrick. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. So, Jesse, what do you got for us today? Well, this week, to paraphrase a former president, it was some weird stuff. It was just, you know, Trump, as always, it's almost like we're repeating every episode that Trump is tweeting some wacky stuff. And we actually had a whole rundown of things we wanted to talk about in a specific order. But then this morning, Trump decided to throw a couple more things our way. So let's take these all, you know, one at a time and, and see how we how we end up. First of all, he says, wow, Fox News, because, you know, that's all he watches is Fox News. Wow, Fox News just reported big news. Source, official behind unmasking is high up. Known intel official is responsible. Some unmasked, not associated with Russia. Trump team spied on us before we were nominated. If this is true, does not get much bigger. Would be sad for U.S. What the hell is he talking about? As soon as I read that, I went on foxnews.com. I didn't see one mention of this. It's more just fake news from the president. Right, Fox News, so it must be good. Uh, as we know, you know, if it comes from Fox, if it comes from Breitbart, any news organization on the right, then it's good to President Trump. And he's going to go and tweet that out, uh, broadcast that out to his uh, his masses, his public that that love him and follow him. And that's a danger because he's propagating false information. As you said, you can't even find it anywhere. So where is he getting it from? And then earlier this week, he attacked not only his enemies, but his friends. I guess you'd call them his friends, the Freedom Caucus. You know, he needs these guys to be able to pass legislation over the next four years. And he's crapping all over them. He tweeted that the Freedom Caucus will hurt the entire Republican agenda if they don't get on the team and fast. We must fight them and the Dems in 2018. So he's telling people, you have to fight the Democrats. You have to fight fellow Republicans in the Freedom Caucus. He's not going to have anybody there to fight for him. See, this is Trump's problem. He has the mind of a 13-year-old boy. He has to get revenge. Someone, in his opinion, has wronged him. And so now, instead of looking for ways to work together with the Freedom Caucus or with the Democrats, he's got to get back. He's got to get revenge. And, and that could have disastrous effects with him as president always needing to exact revenge on his perceived enemies. Yeah, and the Freedom Caucus isn't standing for this at all. First of all, he then called people out. He called out representatives Mark Meadows, uh, Jim Jordan. I laughed at this one when I saw it the first time. Raul Labrador, uh, you know, he didn't at at Raul Labrador, so he didn't get tagged. He had to delete it and do it again because he was so fast. And he said, you know, get on board now for great health care, massive health cuts and reform, blah, blah, blah. Um, the Freedom Caucus people weren't happy. Um, Representative J uh, Justin Amash basically said that people don't like being bullied what he's doing is what a fifth grader would do, and it may help a child get his way, but that's not how our government works. Uh, Labrador said the Freedom Caucus stood by Trump during the election. They're trying to help him succeed. And Representative Dave Bratt said that the bill is polling at 17%. The American people were not in support of this bill, and we represent them, and we can do better. And you know, the Freedom Caucus people are kind of kind of kooky, at least in my view, and they're calling Trump kind of kooky. It, it's Again, it's the enemy of my enemy is my friend thing. Weird, weird and strange bedfellows come up when it's a, a, a political process like this happening. Right. Trump's behavior is truly sophomoric here. He just needs to learn how to accept defeat and move on and look for ways that they can find common ground to move something forward. He's not going to be able to govern if he can't play nice with others. Well, that's ex well then he's not going to be able to govern <laughs> because he it's not it's not in his DNA. He doesn't think down the road he may need these people. 
He uh, he just thinks these people made me mad. Now they better do and listen to everything I say, or or pay the consequences. It's like Howard Stern said: Trump just wants to be loved, and he doesn't understand what happens when he's not loved. He doesn't know how to play with others. And actually, it came out. I think it was probably Friday that Mark Sanford. Remember, he was like the governor or something of South Carolina who disappeared on a trail and was really having an affair, like in South America or whatever. He said he's a congressman now. They they elected him back in, and he actually said that Trump threatened him with running somebody against him in a primary if he didn't vote for the uh, for the health care bill. So we have. I mean, not that he's the the best source, but it, it's confirmation that it's happening. Well, I got to say, Jess and Pat, this is. Uh, an example of what Don King would say, only in America, right? Yeah. Where Mark Sanford can go from, you know, the governor's house to some low, you know, low-end hotel somewhere in Brazil, was it? To come back to only uh, become a congressman, and now he's back in the news. So it proves that in America, if you give something enough time, people will forget, and you'll be able uh, to be back in the good graces of the population once again. Unless your name is Clinton, they never forget that. Good point. Yeah. They're still going after Bill for things he did many years ago and, and for Hillary for things that never actually happened to begin with. Uh, so <laughs> get the Freedom Caucus out of the way. Then we have the New York Times because, you know, they're mean to him. They're mean to the president. They don't do flattering articles on him. So he starts tweeting out about how, you know, if only the great people of our country could see how viciously and inaccurately they're covered. You know, they wouldn't believe it. Uh, again, he goes in with the failing New York Times. Remember when they apologized to subscribers right after the election? They were wrong. Now they're worse. The New York Times tweeted back out, we never apologized for anything. And well, again, and I would say, too, I would say, too, that perhaps the New York Times, as uh, well-written and thorough as they are, thought a little bit more highly of the American public. They, you know, had polls to, to prove, to show that, you know, it looked like Clinton was going to win. And with all of the research they had done, it seemed as if she was going to win. So really, they don't have anything to apologize for. And, you know, the New York Times, for all of the uh, the discredit that President Trump tries to throw their way, is a reputable newspaper. All right. Yale Center for Teaching and Learning calls The New York Times the most thorough newspaper. All right. So we want newspapers to thoroughly cover news events from all sides. And The New York Times does that. We've, we've got to stop allowing Donald Trump to downplay the importance of the media and real journalism. And, and are they failing? I mean, or at least failing any more than any other newspaper in America or in the world? I, I don't know if that's true or not. I actually haven't looked that up, but it makes a nice soundbite for him. Uh, he likes the soundbites. Well, that's it's all he does, Pat. Now, now, Pat, you have you ever been a fan of Trump? You've been back in his Apprentice days. No, I think I only watched one one season of The Apprentice. You know, I liked him in The Apprentice because he was like a buffoon. Like, you know, you didn't take him seriously. He was Donald Trump. He was a caricature of himself. Um, and now he's president. Uh, anyways, we, we figured out pretty pretty easily and pretty soon that uh, the reason why he was going after The New York Times is because they were hitting at Michael Flynn. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Um, but as I said before, it's dangerous for the POTUS to be attacking free free speech and the free press over basically hurt feelings and just disagreements. Uh it, it's scary. It's sad. I actually did a found a morning consult poll. Now it is from the end of last year, so it was before Trump went into office. Um, but they had a bunch of different organizations and tried to look at where their credibility level was with the general public. 
the New York Times is at 63%, which I don't know if it sounds low, but it was actually towards the um, top of it. They actually had Breitbart at 19%, The Onion at 18%, and Infowars from Crazy Alex Jones at 17%. So basically, of course, Breitbart, The Onion. The Onion yeah. is fake news. Yes, and they have Breitbart basically at the same level, and that shows that's fake news. And again, that's not – that's not being biased be, uh, you know, for, for a certain ideology. Breitbart's ridiculous. There, there are several things on the left that are ridiculous too. Um, but it's – there are people – that's where they get their news from, and that's why they think what they think. It's dangerous for the leader of the United States to continually beat down the press. The free press is what allows us to hold our politicians accountable. It's a key critical element of democracy, and we need to start standing up for – the, as I said before, the, the journalism that actually takes on and, and asks the tough questions of our leaders so that we can hold them accountable. If not, what else do we have? If there wasn't a free press, we wouldn't be here doing this, be able to do this this podcast right now. You know where we'd be? Soviet in a Russia. Cave <laughs> no, we'd be in those places like like where they would shoot you if you gave a dissenting opinion. I mean, hell, people talk about Putin right now and suddenly they get a weird case of radiation poisoning. and thrown a gulag. You know, yeah, you know, what a... What a coincidence. Uh, and, and of course, you, know, you got the New York Times of Freedom, the Freedom Caucus, but there's always that old staple we talked about our second ago. Hillary Clinton, both the Clintons actually, he out of the blue starts tweeting, you know, why isn't the House Intelligence Committee, and we'll be talking about that in a little bit too, Jesus, um, why aren't they looking into the Bill and Hillary deal that allowed big uranium to go to Russia, Russian speech money to Bill, and blah, 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 on and on and on. And if you look into this, again, that Hillary uranium story is fake news. And I heard people last night, again, not you know, not Trump, but Trump supporters say that uh, this is what's happening. It's, it's not what's happening. It's fake news. On, on Bill Maher last night, we saw someone talking about this and acting like it was fact. It's not fact. If you look into it, Hillary was one of nine heads of departments when she was secretary of state to okay the sale um, of this uh, – a controlling stake at least of an international uranium mining company to Russia. And this is part of the regular process of approving international deals with strategic asset, assets. It's not the end of the world. And maybe there were some investors that were that were interested in this going a certain way, who also gave a little money to the uh, to the Clinton Foundation. But, it, but so wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah. By this measure, Jess, then do we hold President Trump accountable for signing an executive order if, say, the Keystone Pipeline were to explode and we find out that you know there was some malfeasance that took place in the building of that project? We should hold him accountable, right? Yeah, because well, no, because because the Clintons live in America and it must be their fault. It's kind of like Fox News when they say it's a no-spin zone. He loves spin. And right now, the Clintons are still always a great scapegoat. People get very upset whenever they are brought up, even if they had absolutely nothing to do with the issue. He doesn't realize how sad it is that the election has been over for about three months. Now. I mean, it's been in the office for three months. The election was, what, five months ago? You won, buddy. Like, leave the Clintons alone, not because I worry about their hurt feelings, but move forward, not backwards. To quote our, our boy Wayne from Wayne's World, live in the now. Actually, live that was in Garth, the now. wasn't it? Yeah. You never afford it, man. Live in the now. Uh, which was, by the way, the name of our original podcast that never came to fruition. Would have been great, though. That's true. Uh, and the last tweet that he said, I mean, yeah, it's, there's plenty more, but the last one we're going to talk about, at least, is on China. Uh, he's going to be meeting with folks from China this coming week. And he tweeted preemptively, the meeting next week with China will be very difficult in that we can no longer have massive trade deficits and job losses. American companies must be prepared to look at other alternatives. So he's basically preparing us to basically just crap all over Russia, um, over China when they come to America. And you, know, you don't want to piss them off. They're, they're the other superpower right now for the most part. We should be working what together. What is it they say? 
Keep your friends close and your enemies closer. He didn't go to that school. Oh, school, school, school. It's sometimes amazing that Trump went to school at all. I feel like he uh, just was taught on the streets and not by, like, you know, street toughs, but by those guys who play three-card Monty and, and, and fool the tourists that come to town. I don't know. So I'm sure next week we're going to have lots more tweets to talk about because he never stops tweeting. There's probably more going on before the end of this episode or before you listen to this podcast. Uh, another, and again, it's funny that I feel like we repeat ourselves every week, but we're not repeating ourselves. It's the same idiots getting in the same trouble. So Devin Nunez, we all know our good friend Devin Nunez, head of the House Intel com- uh, Committee, a little over a week ago, uh, he went down. He, well, first of all, he went MIA for a day. Next day, he popped up. Hey, I got some information when I was at the White House. I'm going to go uh, tell everybody, except for my committee, what I learned. Then I'm going to go to the uh, back to the White House and press uh, and prep the president. Well, it turns out that he got that information from two people at the White House. New York Times identified them as Ezra Cohen Watnick, who's uh, for the National Security Council, and Michael Ellis, who's a national security lawyer uh, for the White House Counsel's Office. And it's not exactly clear what they did, but he basically got information from the White House, went back to his office, then came back and gave it back to the White House. And, of course, this all blows Sean Spicer's mind. He doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. One of the things that bothered me the most about this is how hypocritical the hypocrisy goes along with it. If this had been a Democrat who went to a Democratic president and did this, they'd already be having hearings and calling for an impeachment. But because it's Trump and one of Trump's friends, this is fine. Well, to be fair, though, it's not like the Democrats don't do the same stuff with the Republicans. They just haven't had the opportunity lately. And I'm not saying you know, it's, it's equal a one-to-one, but I want to point out that it's not like – yeah, you know, Democrats are always wonderful themselves. You know, I, I, I try to be fair on this podcast. Both sides can be at fault. Well, I, I understand what you're saying. I'm just saying is that how they would react if a Democrat did it is totally different than if it's a Republican. Well, anytime a new party comes into the into the power in the House, particularly, I think, I always see one side screaming at the other side for you know abusing their power, blah blah blah. And then that side gets into power, and then they do the exact same thing, whether it's Newt Gingrich or Tip O'Neill or, or John Boehner, whatever. So it, it's very cyclical, I think, and um, I don't think it's going to stop anytime soon. But I, basically, this is not going to end well for Devin Nunez. Whenever you see him, you just see him like going, oh, I'm in too deep, I'm, I, and I he just keeps digging a bigger hole for him. And pretty soon, they're going to cover him up, I think. Well, you know, Jess, the, the people who are giving out this information – uh, Ezra Cohen Watnick and Michael Ellis, you know, that's using this intelligence they have to advance the political goals of the Trump administration. And, you know, that coming out of the New York Times article by Matthew Rosenberg, Maggie Haberman and Adam Goldberg, like that there's there's criminality in this. And so, again, I know I keep likening the situation to Watergate, but we're seeing some of those things play out. You remember all the names, all of the, the small bit players in the Watergate scandal. And we're starting to see this happen again here. These bit players who let out bits of information or who do small tasks that lead up to this bigger crime. And this is what we need to be paying attention to. You know, G. Gordon Liddy, he can go to jail. He's kind of a tough guy. He, he, can, he can ride it out. But something tells me that uh, Devin Nunez, he would not do well in any kind of prison <laughs> if it ended that way. Not that I'm saying he's going to go to prison, but I don't think he's going to be head of the Intel Committee very, very much longer at, at this rate, no matter what happens. Yeah, I have a feeling it's not going to end well for a lot of people. 
So, and our boy Michael Flynn is back in the news. Uh, Michael Flynn, the uh, now security advisor for what, like five minutes, it seemed like. Uh, Can we really call him former security advisor Michael Flynn? You're seeing in the news reports, like former national security advisor Michael Flynn, the, the former advisor to the president, he was there for a couple of weeks. Do we really give him that, cre that credit? I mean, honestly, we could be calling him disgraced former Former, I mean, the guy <laughs> did things he shouldn't have been doing and was then fired because of that. So it, it's 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 not out of line to call him that. So um, he reportedly told the FBI that he'd be willing to testify about Trump and the Trump campaign and his ties to Russia in exchange for an immunity deal. Doesn't want to be prosecuted. And Flynn's lawyer actually pointed out and said, General Flynn certainly has a story to tell, and he wants to tell it if the circumstances permit. Uh, but it turns out that the uh, Senate Intelligence Committee basically said, you know, don't call us, we'll call you. We're not interested right now. Um, and I, I've listened to a couple things, and they said you know, him doing this doesn't necessarily mean he has anything to say. It just means he's trying to cover his butt right now. So part of you wants to think this is going to just take down the entire administration, but you know, it could be a whole – a whole, a bunch of do about nothing, I guess. <laughs> well, I'd be lying if I didn't say there was a small piece of me that was hoping for exactly that to happen. But – we need to look back, as I often bring us back uh, to history here, and to not that far in the past. Back in September, Michael Flynn, as an advisor to the Trump campaign, was speaking with Chuck Todd on an MSNBC interview. And he was quoted as saying, when you are given immunity, that means you have probably committed a crime. Is that was he, what he is implying about himself now? But the president said pretty much the same thing, too. It actually blows my mind. These guys don't think about how the words can come and bite them in the butt. But the words don't apply to them. It only applies to everybody else. They are fine because they would never do anything wrong. And, and the problem with that, Pat, is that there's a segment, a large segment of people who agree with you. You're, you're joking when you say that. But there are people out there who believe that, that you know, Trump's word is law. Everything else is fake news. Or you know, they don't care if it happened or not. They just want to take down these, these idiot people who have been around forever. And it's – I really wish more people could could just focus on the issue and not party. Uh, yeah, you say you may hate Trump or you may hate Clinton or you may hate whatever, but that hate shouldn't, shouldn't be – shouldn't affect you know, how you feel about the job they're doing, if that makes sense. So um, if someone you don't like is doing a good job, you should be happy. If someone you like is doing a bad job, you should be willing to criticize them because that's better for the – best for the country. And I take umbrage with the idea of Donald Trump continually calling this witch hunt. Now, witch hunts are making accusations with no proof, such as his wiretapping accusation, not actually going after things that are proving to be credible, that are proving to carry some weight. Obviously, Michael Flynn was in contact with Russia. Obviously, Jeff Sessions was in contact with Russia. And we're starting to see more information come out. There, there are facts to prove this. There's information to prove this. That's not a witch hunt. You even had Jared Kushner talking to Russia. I mean, there's a lot of people that are coming forward saying, yeah, I talked to them. What's the problem with that? And when it comes to a witch hunt, I should know. My hometown of Wallingford, Connecticut, I believe, actually had the last witch hunt or the last witch trial in, in New England. Uh, you know, a lot of these poor women were put to death. And now Trump's just joking about it. I'm just kidding. That's not really that big of a deal. For uh, crazy but, and erratic behavior, what would they say about the president today if they were around? Would they not consider him crazy and erratic? You know, you, th you throw him in the water. If he drowns, he was innocent. If he floats, he's a witch. It's pretty it's easy. So next week, we'll possibly be seeing uh, a Gor the Gorsuch filibuster. We've been talking about it in the past couple of episodes, but we're not actually sure it's going to happen. It, it looks like it's going to, but there are some Democratic senators 
who may have something to say about that. Uh, so far, Senator uh, Heidi Heitkamp and Joe Manchin, that's North Dakota, West Virginia, they said they're going to vote for Gorsuch. And that has to do with the states they're in and the pressures they have for re-election. Uh, there's also uh, Senators Claire McCaskill from Missouri, Joe Donnelly from Idaho. Um, you know, they're facing pressure to vote for him from their state. And then you have people like Pat Leahy and Ben Cardin who really haven't closed the door on voting to end the filibuster. Though Leahy said that while he won't support Gorsuch's nomination, he's not inclined to filibuster. And he kind of walked those statements back. But I actually heard some thoughts that you know, this might be a plan from Schumer. They know that Gorsuch is going to be put on on the bench. It's not going to stop that. But Schumer also has to look tough for the for the party, to the people watching him. So if he can just say, we're filibustering in, we're not going to let it go by, then you have some of the rank and file uh, Democrats kind of putting an end to that. He saves face and, and you know, they get him on the bench as, as it's going to happen. And I think this is exactly what the Dems are looking for. Absolutely. They want to come off as being tough and, and standing up to Donald Trump here, but they also want to rise above the Republican tactics with Merrick Garland, who Barack Obama had nominated for the Supreme Court over a year, a year and a half ago now, and was never even given a hearing. So they've got a tightrope walk this just a little bit so that they don't come out as looking weak and that they're not standing up to some of these uh, ideas or policies from the White House, but that they also are still allowing government to process the way that their counterparts across the aisle did not do. I was really proud of the Democrats because I thought the Democrats did a really good job at the hearings, bringing up some very good points. I think they gave him a good chance to explain how he would feel, how he would do on the bench, but also showing that they weren't just going to roll over because they know they don't have the votes to stop this, but bringing up the important things that people need to know about this judicial nominee. I heard David Axelrod, uh, he used to work in the Obama White House, talk this week, and even he said, you know what, the problem is Gorsuch is plenty qualified. Uh, you, may not, you may not agree with his views, but he's a very very qualified, very distinguished individual, so that's why you're not going to stop this guy. It's not like he's – well, he may be fringe compared to you know when you're looking at what a moderate is. He's not so far of a fringe that he's an insane choice to have. So uh, yeah, we've, I've said this in the past. I think we should save the stock for when – you know, knock on wood, Ginsburg or somebody goes down or retires, was, and and th then things flip. I, that's exactly what I was thinking. That's the that's the next step. Is can the the remaining judges stay on there for the next three and a half years? Hey, you only need them to stay on for another uh, you know two and a half three years, and you go, oh, there's an election in a year, just like with Merrick Garland. You know, we can't vote on this, and uh, I guess that would depend on whether uh, the Republicans take back the. Uh, the House and you mean the Democrats the take back the House? What did I say? The Republicans. You said Republicans. Uh, I'm glad I got you here to keep me honest, Patrick. <laughs> what people really need to be looking at, if they are concerned and they want to be able to make change in Washington, they need to look at their local elections, their state elections in the next few years, because it's those state, uh, whoever is in control of their state legislatures, that get to draw the districts that end up being mm -hmm. gerrymandered to the point where you can't elect a member of the opposite party. So if we start making changes and flip some of those seats at the state level, you will eventually see that trickle up to Washington to be able to make change in Congress. Districts should not look like spirals and like weird, odd shapes. I mean, they should be I, – I, it goes where the uh, population is, but they should be – I would like squares, you know, regular states. You know, but they've been gerrymandered so bad over the years, yeah, that some of these places, once you're in, you're pretty much good until something crazy happens, but – We'll have to come back and see next week what happens with the entire Gorsuch thing. It'll, it'll be an, an interesting process, I'm sure. 
this last week also saw some very sad things going on in relation to the environment. Um, the, the president put out, an, again, another executive order. Um, there was a lot of things, but one of the things it did was undid a lot of the uh, Obama-era environmental regulations dealing with coal. Uh, Trump was flanked by people uh, who work in the coal industry and said, hey, guess what? You guys are going back to work. The truth is that coal's the past, okay? And regulations aren't even the biggest uh, enemy of these coal workers, coal miners. It's natural gas. Natural gas is uh, cleaner, it's cheaper, it's a better future. Uh, and let's not forget that Trump has just been screwing um, Appalachia in general through his budgets, through his health care plan, all this stuff. And I don't want to be mean because I know people from West Virginia. I know people who have been hurt with the economy going down because the, the coal mines have shut down and all that stuff. But at what point do you say, you know, you have to evolve or die? Uh, we've said this before. The VCR repairmen, you know, have nothing to fix anymore, and they either had to work on something else or, or not work at all. Uh, at a certain point, you have to realize that coal is it's, it's a failing industry. It's the past, and you have to move on. I think we need to dust off some of those old television commercials with the crying, the, the Native American with the tear running down his face after somebody dumps a bag of garbage in front of him. You know, Van Jones of CNN just this week wrote that Trump may have just signed a death warrant for our planet. And honestly, that's a believable <laughs> statement if you believe in science, if you believe in climate change, because some of these regulation rollbacks will have negative effects on our planet. You know. And you had mentioned that natural gas is the biggest enemy to coal. I would argue that even further, clean energy jobs, solar energy is an even bigger threat. And according to Bloomberg, in 2015, clean energy jobs in the solar energy industry overtook those in oil and natural gas. You know, solar grew 12 times faster than the overall job creation in this country. 8.1 million people worked in clean energy worldwide. So this is an even faster growing movement that's going to overtake even natural gas. Sadly, I think the only time this is really going to get played with the president is when you see more ice melting to the point that it actually floods Mar-a-Lago. Something tells me he's going to be long gone before that happens. Uh, not, not that it's not going to happen. Basically what he's doing is here, have jobs where you work in coal mines and get black lung and then you won't have insurance, pay for your any procedures or your health care. It's really just falling apart. I understand these guys. They don't... They're not caring about the future. They're caring about the now and wanting to pay their bills and feed their children and all that stuff. But again, you really have to just think of what's going to happen five years down the line, three years down the line. Who, who the hell knows? And that's not the only bad news this week. I mean, the bad news started uh, on January 20th when President Trump became president because he appointed EPA chief uh, Scott Pruitt. Uh, Scott Pruitt's a guy who has been suing the EPA throughout the years. And uh, lately, conservatives have really been pressuring him to, uh, you know, Take on science regarding climate change. Damn science! Who wants that? Um, they want to undo Obama's, uh, the Obama administration's findings on greenhouse gases and that they're a threat and that should be regulated. You know, I'm sure it's just fine. There's no problem with greenhouse gases. Well, that's um, just it. That's just it. He can't beat science, right? Science is proven. He's not going to beat science, and that goes back, Jesse, to your comments about how Trump's budget uh, kind of is going to be detrimental to the people of Appalachia. You know. Many people in that region lack proper education, and they often vote against themselves, and they lack that scientific background. So they believe more of what's being thrown their way by conservative politicians and conservative talking heads that the climate change doesn't exist and that they, don't, they didn't play any part in that in the coal industry. But the truth is that they actually do, and you cannot beat the science. Scott Pruitt is not going to be able to beat that no matter how many supporters he has backing him up. And Scott Pruitt was actually, in this case— 
a hero, but for the wrong reasons. He, he fought against uh, having some of this greenhouse gas stuff in the executive order because he was afraid of being labeled anti-science. Now, notice I didn't say that he isn't anti-science. He doesn't want to be known as being anti-science, which are two different things. Um, but, you know, I'll take a win wherever I can get it. And let's not forget that Trump, wasn't he the one that said a couple a year ago or so that he thinks uh, global warming is a hoax by the Chinese? I mean, I'm sure he'll bring that up in the meeting next week. It's... Uh, I understand there's debate on how fast global warming is happening and you know all that stuff, but the fact that it is happening really shouldn't be up for debate at all. And uh, it, it, it's just, again, he wants to be loved, so he's happy to roll back all these regulations that hurt the planet and the environment because it's going to get him a few more votes next time around. And you know, pandering for votes like that is not good in the long run. The bottom line is that coal is not coming back. In 2014... Coal employed 76,572 people. And on that same token, in the same year, bowling alleys across this country employed 69,088. So you're looking at these two different industries that are, are completely different from each other, but one having a negative effect on our environment, and it's drastically losing numbers over the years. Coal is not coming back, no matter what Donald Trump does. We need to be investing our money in these clean energy solutions. And more importantly, we need to be, if we really want to help the people in coal country, is to spend government money promoting retraining programs. That's money much better spent. Using your analogy, isn't, isn't technology also part of this? You, t you just mentioned the bowling alleys. But back then, they didn't have machines resetting those pins. They had someone in the back that would reset those pins by hand. Same thing with the coal miners. There was, there's going to be a lot less coal miners in there because you, now you have machines you can send in there that are doing a lot of the work for them. So it, those jobs are not coming back. And I would like to point out that, Kevin, you and I uh, and your family went bowling a couple weeks ago, and there's just one dude sitting there watching TV, probably selling drugs out of the back because no one was showing up. And if, if that gets replicated across the country, I mean, it's that's not looking good. And that's doing better than the coal industry. So I, I don't know. Careful now, just as a disclaimer, in case my wife is listening, we don't take our kids to places that drugs are sold out of. No, we just that we know. Once and, yes. To our knowledge. He allegedly, in my mind, was selling drugs. I don't know. It just seemed kind of strange. Um, on to the, uh, the, the Trump I like looking at the most, at least, Ivanka. And I'm sorry if that's a... You know, non-PC that I'm saying that. I'm sorry. Apparently, he likes to look but... at her, too, though. So he told Howard Stern as much. Hey, what, you love your Howard Stern, huh? You know what Trump loves? Trump loves nepotism. Mm, yeah, whether you're his son-in-law, his son's son. <laughs> well, I guess his son's son, his real son, is running the, the actual business. But yeah, Jared Kushner, as we know, is you know advisor to the president. Now his daughter, Ivanka, um, Mrs. Kushner, as you would call her, is a... Uh, She'd been getting some crap because she had a West Wing office, no official title, which meant she could skate around some ethics laws and have to, you know, put the money that she's getting on stuff. So she finally gave in. She's going to be a special assistant to Daddy, aka the president. Um, I guess it's good that she's finally doing that. But again, it's, it's, it's. We've never seen this before. Yes, we've had family members and children affect policy, but never had so much nepotism in the actual White House dealing with the Oval Office. It's, it's kind of crazy. It is interesting, and according to. Obama administration ethics lawyer Norman Eisen this past week said that, you know, the Department of Justice held that the nepotism statute does apply to the White House many times over the years, which the Trump administration claims that it is not, you know, that it doesn't apply to them, that they can hire from within their own family. But to me, this just 
we keep we want to get rid of this cloud of of secrecy of keeping it in house in the family. We want to have uh, more uh, insight into what's going on at the White House, and I feel like with it all being connected in the family, it's going to be much easier for them to try to pull the wool over our eyes. Usually, when you see a president hiring his key advisors, he doesn't put an ad in the New York Times. He hires people that worked on his campaign. However, he picks people who are knowledgeable on the subject. I'm not so much against bringing a family member in if that family member was an expert on the subject, but we haven't heard anything with regards to Jared Kushner or Ivanka that would lead you to think that they're experts on a certain subject that's going to help the president. I mean, they seem to be more qualified to be cheerleaders for him. If Obama or Bush or even the you know Clinton had hired Kushner or uh, or Ivanka, you'd be like, well, that's kind of a weird hire. You're not necessarily uh, qualify because they're related to the president now. Oh, it's all okay. It, it just doesn't sit well with me. But uh, we'll see. You know, she, it's not it's not much of a stretch to say that she is the I would say the most competent of all the Trumps. But again, it's not saying that much. Um, you know. So uh, the final thing I want to talk about today is a, a special election happening in Georgia, in, uh, District Georgia Six. It's the first post-Trump congressional election. It's going to be held on April 18th. And uh, it was the spot for the current HHS secretary, Tom Price. I deal with him a lot in my uh, in my work. Uh, the district has been red for 38 years. I mean, this is where Newt Gingrich was, okay? This is where uh, current Georgia Senator Jenny Isaacson was from. And before that, it was blue for like 134 years for the most part. But that had Democrats like Carl Vinson and John James Flynn Jr. These are dudes who signed the Southern Manifesto. I mean, they, they're, they're not the Democrats you think of today. Until They've been conservative. Until FDR in the 1930s, there was a major difference, right? The flip-flop of Republican to Democrat as far as who was yeah. more liberal. And these are Democrats that were before the flip. These are like the Strom Thurmond Democrats. Before Strom Thurmond became a Republican, right? Yeah, de- yes, definitely. So uh, it, it's interesting to see how this is going to play out. So um, right now in the lead is a 30-year-old Democrat. His name is John John Ossoff, I believe his name is how you pronounce it. Uh, and it looks like he might win. So there's 18 candidates running right now. And all these 18 candidates of all different parties are all being thrown together on the same primary ballot. And uh, the way you win is if you get more than 50% of the vote, you're, you're in. You're a congressman. If nobody gets at least 50%, there's going to be a runoff before the between the top uh, two. And on, that's going to be on June 20th. Now that's the difference between a majority and a plurality. Uh, and there are so many Republicans running that they're really watering down their votes and letting this guy, John uh, Ossoff, uh, get the lead. So if he wins the, the majority, he's in, he's good. If he does not get that, he'll very, almost certainly, I would say, be in the runoff. But then all the Republicans are going to come together and have more votes than him, and he'll probably lose. So it's very, even if he wins, I don't necessarily think he'll be, the, be around for, for a long time, more than one term. But at least it's going to show people right now that things are changing, especially with this administration. So I, I actually think it's, it's what it says in the moment will say a lot more about uh, things going forward than its long-term effects. Despite John Ossoff's young age, I think it's important that we shed some light on his background and his qualifications for this job. Ossoff was a congressional staffer for Georgia Representative Hank Johnson, uh, specifically on national security issues. He investigated wrongdoing by government contractors operating overseas and now leads a company called Insight TWI, which produces investigations targeting corrupt government officials and organized crime for international news organizations. So he does have a background in some of the very critical issues that are facing us right now. So perhaps if he were to get elected and get in office and maybe do some good up in Washington, he might last longer than a few years. 
Although I have to say I'm, I'm out on this guy now. He told me he worked for Hank Johnson. Hank Johnson might be the stupidest member of Congress. I actually used to work with a former congressman. I asked about Hank Johnson, and he basically said, you know, in certain terms, he's an effing moron. This is the same guy in here, and they had a bunch of military people that were going to be going to Guam, and he asked an admiral if they were worried that the island might flip over. Would it make you feel better if I told you <laughs> he was also an intern for Representative John Lewis when he was in high school? Well, you know, John Lewis is fine. Okay, it's, that's, that's a little better. Um, well, we, but, we also like to talk about the politics is all local, and they have a big local issue going on right now in Atlanta when the a, there was a fire and a bridge uh, collapsed. And it'd be very interesting to see how any of those candidates talk about that issue because a big issue in the United States right now should be talked about is the infrastructure. Our roads and bridges are getting older, and Congress really isn't making any effort to fix any of that. And that's one thing I'll give Trump. He did run on saying we have to fix this infrastructure in the country. It's falling apart. I haven't seen him do anything towards that you know, getting better now. But, yeah, that is something that's – I'm surprised that bridge didn't fall down on Election Day in a specific you know, district or town blocking people from coming to vote. But uh, with, with early voting going on right now, Democrats are actually uh, far out outweighing the Republicans in the early voting time. So it, this is going to be really interesting to watch and see if this is a, is a trigger for things going forward in 2018. So – it's been a week. It's been a crazy, crazy week. So much to say. Uh, before we get down to Kevin's corner, I figured, you know, I don't know, Patrick, you're here. Who knows how often you'll be joining us? So I want to give you just a quick second to, to say anything you may want to say, whether we call it, you know, Patrick's pontifications or Patrick's perceptions or whatever. Do you, do you have anything you want to add just about the current state of things in the country right now before we, we head out? Oh, I, I may have a few things, Jesse. Um, no, first, I want to thank you guys both for letting me hang out with you today. One thing I did want to mention and talk about and something you guys might have already talked about in the past. The president does talk about his grand plan to make a more American jobs and to make us business friendly. The president and congressman looking at making legislation that's supposedly going to increase jobs. I think job creation is important, but I also hope people don't lose focus on what I believe is just as equally important. With those new jobs, each American has to have the ability to afford to retire someday. One thing that annoys me the most as a government worker myself what department do you work in? I actually work in retirement, Jesse. Oh, what a coincidence. All right, keep going. I'm sorry. One thing that annoys me as a government worker is a constant attack on the fact that I have a defined pension plan and health care. I think that's one of the saddest things we've seen over the years, that these have been stripped away from the American worker and that people have accepted it, that they're entitled to not receive similar benefits. As these have been stripped away, we also have not seen the savings businesses were supposed to pass down to us in lower-priced goods and, and higher-paying jobs. In fact, we've seen business profits increase, the cost of products remain the same or, or increase, and the hourly wages of American workers have been stagnant or, or even worse. The jobs have been transferred out of the country, and the business pocket even more savings. And when the businesses get a huge tax break, time and time again, we've been seeing that those tax breaks don't really translate into more American jobs or even trickle down or trump down economics here. If, you know, it's not affecting the businessman. It's putting more money into the economy, but rather I believe we're just going to see more of this going forward. So as Americans, we really should make sure that as these new jobs are going to be start being created, we really should be asking for more from those jobs. We should be making a point as Americans to expect more from our employers. We cannot continue to accept that jobs should be low paying and have no benefits with them. I support a business, right? We should be supporting businesses' rights to make a buck. But businesses also need to understand that sometimes it's, it's more important 
and selling a product to also making sure that their workers have decent wages and provide health care and pensions. Because if we if corporate greed gives out to all this, the country is not going to be able to continue to move forward. Well, Patrick, this, this is a conversation we have all the time. Yeah, I, I, I disagree with a lot of what you said about what what businesses have to do. We can talk. This is we can have this debate another time. We've had this debate in, in private a lot. But um, I appreciate you reading what I can only assume was part of your college thesis. So thank you. <laughs> um, a mighty fine thesis that was. I mean, yes, I, I yes, kind of agrees with some of what I said, but yes. Thank yeah, you guys again for letting me stop by. No, 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 my, my, my pleasure. Um, and with that, Kevin, what do you have for Kevin's Corner? Well, Jesse and Pat, it's important for us in the United States to have a leader who is willing to admit mistakes. It is a measure of a person's character to admit when they are wrong. And Donald Trump has a long history of doubling down instead of showing contrition. He always has to appear to be right, and no one else is ever wrong. This is a danger to our country. Doubling down against other countries could bring war. We deserve elected officials, most certainly a president, who is willing to adjust their opinion based on the facts. When the facts change, so should the point of view of the leader of the free world. Well, I, I have nothing to say after both of those two long, uh, <laughs> wonderful discussions. Uh, so even you know, going forward, maybe we will have a, a debate series. You know, who knows? But uh, as always, thank you, Kevin, for sharing your wonderful point of view, and thank you, Patrick, for joining us today. It's always a pleasure to spend more time with you. And uh, just remember, everybody, you can go to grab them by the pod and find. All the places we're located for, uh, for the podcast, our social media accounts, a little more about Kevin, a little more about me, you know, our, our wonderful handsome faces are on there now, and even a place where you can send us a message. So uh, head on down to grabbingbythepod.com, and I hope you enjoy it. Until next episode, bye-bye. Later.